0: As you noted last in our last uh, episode with James Harris, that was a that was a, a banger right there. Uh, yeah. You know, conversation just flows and and it 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 hits a lot of wonderful ideas. And so I'm just I'm just thankful that we have this to look forward to. We get to share, you know, our uh, our network with people and and just hopefully impacting lives for the better.
1: Yeah, absolutely so today we have a we have a special treat uh, somebody from my past uh, we we went to college together uh ryan johnson uh over the past 10 years he's worked uh his work has taken him to six continents 40 plus countries uh telling some stories uh in in some of the most remote and challenging environments on earth uh ryan's career has been an Unpredictable journey from reality TV and independent filmmaking to disaster photography. Uh, which, yeah, this this guy's photography is is on point uh, as well. Uh, The common thread has always been telling true stories. Uh, 2008, fresh out of college with a film degree from TCU, Ryan bounced around as a freelancer and assistant producer for media companies, reality TV, and faith-based organizations. From there, he would go on to become a lead news photographer for CBN News. Many of his stories airing on major television networks. Frustrated with broadcast news, Ryan made a dramatic career change and took a job with Operation Blessing International, a disaster relief organization Uh, for um, For a year, Ryan lived and worked in active disaster zones telling heartbreaking stories of loss and tragedy. And in 2012, Ryan moved to Colorado to lead a documentary filmmaking program for Compassion International. In 2015, Ryan completed a Master's of Public Administration in Emergency Management and Homeland Security from Regent University, and currently Ryan leads a team of world-class storytellers for Compassion International, a humanitarian and child development organization. Ryan's work has been featured on a variety of news networks and print digital publications, Fox, ABC, CBS, NBC, CBN, The Weather Channel, Uh, The Christian Post, Christianity Today, USA Today, Mission Network News. Ryan has received numerous recognitions for his work, uh, National Addies, uh, Bronze and Silver Tellies, and multiple awards from various film festivals. Ryan also routinely speaks to high school and college students about storytelling, content marketing, and photography. When he's not traveling, Ryan can be found exploring the mountains of Colorado with his wife, son, and daughter. And in regards to uh, his work with... uh, speaking to uh college students that's uh, that's why we're here today right tim we uh right. we, we make this podcast for our students so without uh further ado we would like to welcome ryan johnson ryan johnson how are you man
2: Hey, what's going on, guys? It's good to see you. I guess
0: talk Hey, to Ryan, nice to meet you, man. Uh, that was a, a wonderful intro. I I uh, I think this is going to be a treat for for our podcast and for our students. So I'm Tim. I, I teach alongside with Mark in Northwest Vista College and. We came up with this podcast last summer and uh, it's been a treat to interview so many amazing people doing amazing work. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, and, and I know Mark and you have uh, have gone to school before and uh, that's that's it, man. That's part of the deal. We bring in all the folks that we've had a chance to to network with and, and, and sort of reunite with here on this podcast.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a long time, man been a long long time a lot of a lot of water under the bridge a lot of life so i'm i'm glad i'm glad glad you glad you uh responded when i reached out and uh i'm glad you can uh and offer uh, a perspective to our students that I think is is extremely unique and 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 definitely something you don't uh, you don't see, but is is important and, and impactful. So I guess uh, the first thing we kind of wanted to start with was uh, tell us a little bit about about your job. What what is your day to day you know look like? What's what's your job
2: title? Uh, yeah, sure, yeah. Oh, I'm excited! Well, we're jumping right in. Let's do this. Um, yeah. Well, thank. First off, thanks for having me on the podcast. And I went back and listened to a few episodes, and it's it's so fun to to hear people talk about you know their different career paths and and um, why they're motivated and passionate about the work they do. And we've all got different stories, which is so fun, right? Um, for me, my, you know, my um, and and I think I logged in right right as you were you were introducing me. Is that so? We've already done the introduction, right? That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Awesome, well, um, yeah, so day to day. um, My title's creative manager. I kind of act as a creative director. Um, I work for um, a nonprofit called Compassion International. They do um, child development and humanitarian aid uh, in 25 low-income countries. Uh, a handful of middle-income countries uh, scattered across South America, uh, Central America. Um, They also work in uh, Southeast Asia, uh, East Africa and West Africa. So um, I work on their global marketing team. Um, I kind of act as, um, you know, I kind of act as kind of a hybrid visual content storyteller. So I work with um, a team of filmmakers, photographers, uh, writers, and we generate a lot of content. Uh, And that content gets used uh, for marketing purposes, communication purposes. Um, There are 2 million children uh, in Compassion's program, which is incredible. 2 million children across, uh, across the globe. Um, and uh, we have the the pleasure of telling their stories and uh, meeting the children in our in our program and um, getting a glimpse into their lives. And um, for a lot of people who who sponsor children, who donate to our organization, they'll never be able to travel to, you know, to West Africa to to see the work that their money is is going towards. And so we have the incredible honor to go see that um, as storytellers and we get to shoot photos and shoot films and come back and put that together and um and, and it's a form of accountability uh and it's also a form um of storytelling that we use to inspire people to continue to donate to continue to to get, get involved and to act so um gosh my day-to-day job it, it's doing a lot of different things It's one of the reasons i like doing what i do is is every day is different um like this week, um, you know, we're, we're standing up a couple campaigns. So we're doing a lot of campaign type work where, um, we're looking at sort of the marketing calendars for the next six months. And, and just as you would for any big brand, um, you're looking at sort of what are the marketing needs the campaign needs for the next six months and how can we create really cool content? How can we create films and shoot photos that are then used to raise money and, and meet whatever those needs are. So, um, you know, you know, we, um, I think is it, is it, I should know this is today international Wednesday. Do you guys know, have you seen any posts on, on your social media about that?
1: Oh, I haven't I seen any is. posts about
2: international. Women's so I, now. I think, it's, I think today's international women's day. Don't quote me. I, it might've been yesterday, but um, so, you know, a few months ago, my team had all these conversations, this is just an example. Like we had all these conversations, wouldn't it be cool if we took a bunch of photos, interviewed a bunch of women um, in 10 different countries. A combination of low-income middle-income high-income countries canada the uk australia what if we interviewed some women in in uh guatemala in um kenya so we we identify these women and we did these long-form interviews and, sh- and had portrait photo sessions with each woman um, and uh and so we we kind of used photographers all around the world to do this and put together a really cool photography set um and uh and then we put all of that we we finished the content edited the photos wrote the stories um and put all that together into kind of one kit and we released that to all of our global marketing teams um or all of our marketing teams globally and they used uh that content today to, in a way to kind of celebrate international women's day so that's just kind of an example of, of one small thing but um yeah my hands are in a lot of different creative projects everything from filmmaking to photography to um to podcasting to writing to campaigns uh, we do some brand work so it's kind of full spectrum uh, which is really fun for me yeah that's awesome. Uh,
1: I know. I know. Uh, Tim and I. We we often have a lot of students. We uh, the college that we work at has a digital video cinema program uh, that allows students. Uh, it's actually a part of the workforce program, and it gets them into the workforce to to do video. And and I know a lot of uh, a lot of the students that we see in the classroom. You know, they they want to be the you know the next Spielberg or Soderberg or whatever. And 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 I'll be honest your 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 work is 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 on par i mean i was telling tim before we we sat down with you uh that you know with your with your talent i mean you could have gone out to la and you could be you know on the academy awards and Mm -hmm. and making buku bucks for for you know uh you know the next nolan film uh but you 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 didn't do that and 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 i'd like to talk about uh, why? What? Why? And and what motivated you to to, to take a, a different path and not not do the traditional and not just not just do it for the money, uh, not that everybody in Hollywood does it for the money, but sure. uh, but yeah, what 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 yeah what what made you choose a different route?
2: Yeah, um, you know I I think. I think Kim Burns, I'm going to botch the quote, but Kim Burns says something to the effect of that, that um, it, it, in true life, there's just as much drama in, in real true stories as there as there is in anything fictional. Um, and I really believe that. I think there was a, a point, you know, Mark, when we were finishing like our undergraduate degrees, um, we, you know, we kind of have to make that decision, right? We had to make the decision, what are we going to go do, go do with this degree? We went to film school, like, what are we going to do with this? Um, and you know like you said a lot of my a lot of my friends are going off to to Los Angeles and they're trying to get jobs in the film industry and they're you know working hard at, at like getting the internships getting the production assistant jobs working their way up that food chain and so you kind of have to make that decision like am I gonna go couch surf for a couple of years am I gonna go be the production assistant make the connections go to the parties and 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 like start to make my way through that industry um, and there's a lot of good and a lot of bad, just like there is with any job, right? There's a lot of good and a lot of bad. And I think you gotta take all that into consideration. For me, um, for me, in my particular kind of story, um, I had a, a good friend that um, died in Iraq and it was near the end of our, our time as undergraduate students. And so, you know, that really influenced me in a pretty serious way to get um, sort of refocus into journalism and refocus into, um, politics into news uh, and, and so this, this thing happened and um, you know it got me really interested into, into documentary filmmaking actually and so uh, you know I, I was watching my friends move to LA and do that grind and and i have a lot of respect for people that go into the kind of the big studio filmmaking industry um and uh you know there's a lot there's a lot that that's demanded of people to do that and it's an incredible career so um for me though there was some life stuff there's some life stuff happening that kind of propelled me into more of the journalism side, which is which is kind of a unique angle, right? Like I finished film school and it was, it was gosh, what do I do with this film degree? And I didn't feel like going to LA. I didn't wanna do, like, I just didn't feel called to do that. And so instead it was, hey, let's go tell true stories. Um, let's get into documentary filmmaking. And, um, at the time, right after right after I graduated from TCU, I, it was um, I kind of experimented with reality TV a little bit. I you know worked for like I did some casting stuff for Deal or No Deal and America's Got Talent and a lot of reality shows moved through the Dallas. I was living in Dallas at the time. A lot of a lot of reality shows moved through Dallas, and so I kind of got a taste of like reality TV, which you know I like. I did I knew I didn't want to go do like fictional filmmaking in Hollywood. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, but it was like, well, maybe I want to do reality TV. Like maybe that's real truth. And like at this point, you, you know, I think anybody would tell you reality TV is not, is not reality TV. Right. Um, right. And so, so for me, I took a job on the East Coast after that, and and started doing a lot of news um, photography and a lot of sort of long form editorial, kind of true storytelling, which was great. And and from there, you know, I just launched into more of a career working for nonprofits. Um, I so I did news photography on the East Coast for a while. Um, And um, really had some amazing opportunities to to work in D.C., to work, uh, do politics, um, to cover breaking news across the country. I got to travel to Europe and do a lot of of um, reporting in Europe, and um, kind of kind of cut my teeth in that whole world. And and you know, truthfully, it's one of those things where you you come out of film school feeling like you know everything, and then you get like that first or second job, and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know anything. Like you kind of like you know, you walk into this job thinking, oh I got you know, I went to film school, I got it. Um, and then you just get like level set, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know yep. near as much as I thought I did. So I was, Absolutely. when I was doing news photography out of school, like I was I was shooting every day, like eight hours a day, every day, six days a week. I was only home on the weekends. I would like come home. I would like open my apartment door, step foot in my apartment for like, you know, 10 hours. And then I hit the road again and travel all week, um, which was amazing. Like as a, there's like a single guy, Um, like I love traveling and, um, so that was years ago now, but, um, I, you know, eventually I left that news photography world to my first job at a nonprofit was at a disaster relief organization. And so I would go on, um, I would go on these like month long deployments and, and work in like active disaster zones, um, doing photography, doing storytelling, shooting films, uh, doing PR, um, sort of interacting with, uh, interacting with like big donors, um, and, and so that was kind of my first taste of the nonprofit world was doing that, that work, um, which was a blast, right? It, it was a blast trying to figure out how do you do really emotional storytelling in a disaster? And it turns out it's really easy. Like when people, and, and when people are experiencing these huge tragedies in their lives, um, being able to be there and talk with them and, and get a sense of what's happening to them and then and, and create visual content that then like helps them, right? Like, you know, communities are destroyed by some disaster um, to be there. Kind of on the front lines and, and see that, and then generate content and tell true stories that focus attention on on, on a thing, on a bad thing that's happening, um, in an effort to raise money and raise awareness and, and kind of push people to action. So, you know, I got that was pretty early on in my career that I was doing that work, and um, I got a taste for that. I got a taste for bringing awareness to issues and topics and important things, real important things, were happening to people all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, when you do your job well as a storyteller in those, in those environments, you generate interest and you push people to action, right? Like a lot of us, um, and no judging, but a lot of us sit on our couches and we're really unaware of what's happening in the world. Yeah. right? I, I was totally in, you know, there's, there's huge chunks of our lives where we're pretty self-centered. Um, and we're unaware of the things happening all over the world, conflicts, uh, humanitarian crisis, disasters, uh, socioeconomic crisis. These things are really affecting huge groups of people. And, and it, I consider it an honor now in my career. And, you know, looking back, it, it's pretty clear. My focus has been on telling those stories of people, communities, countries that are affected by these things, um, and getting other people to get off their couch and do something. To change it right or at least know about it um and so for me for me that's just kind of my life's calling and my life's work and and again like some people go to hollywood and they tell really incredible you know they they get into filmmaking and they get into big studio filmmaking and art direction it's like those are amazing careers and and movies are important fictional movies are important but for me i just i just didn't get into that world and um you know some people do and and that's okay but i you know i kind of chose a different path so
1: yeah yeah well, thank you. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I, I, uh, I appreciate the work you do for sure. It's, yeah, it's so
0: so important to bring awareness to so many amazing uh, stories that you just said. Right. You know, it's mm. it's it's evident that, you know, we don't know what's going on in the world unless we have these storytellers. Right. The and, and these stories can come in different forms. Right. Pictures, video. Uh, reporting right um i'm just i'm just so amazed that that students now have a venue to learn right from 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 those of those of us that have been able to do these things and and uh ryan i'm 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 uh, curious to because uh, you, you know you spoke to how you eventually got to where you are now and kind of picking up and learning what you uh essentially would be your purpose in life right so um talk to us a little bit about compassion international um and how does the work that you're doing with them uh fulfill your purpose uh in life at this point at this stage in your life
2: yeah yeah i think um so, um, super good question. Um, and I think, you know, my father-in-law, we have this conversation all the time of like, well, what, you know, I kind of, I kind of digest your question in terms of like, what, what is a good job? Cause, cause we'll take jobs in our future. We'll work for places that are not perfect. You, you'll never work somewhere perfect. So in a way, you know, we're always looking to line up the mission or the purpose of where we work with our own personal mission or purpose, um, what we're called to do. And that's very, di- our identity is very different than where we work. You know, a lot of people confuse that and their identity is where they work. And I, I think that's a dangerous thing, um, but we all feel called to do something. And and if we can line up our skills, knowledge, abilities, and that calling close, it's never gonna be perfect. But if we can kind of f- find a place to land that, um, I think that's, that's, a really nice, that's a really nice thing. And not everybody has that opportunity to work somewhere that lines up perfectly with with their own values and purpose and mission, um, and so I, f- I feel like I have at, at compassion. Um, Compassion again exists to release children from poverty, and there's you know you can Google this and look at the numbers. They're really overwhelming, and and I could list off a bunch of statistics, but they're just numbers, right? There are so many children who live in extreme po- poverty globally, um, and and just to put it really simply, when a child lives, when a family lives in extreme poverty, we're we're talking like less than a dollar twenty five a day. Um, when people live in extreme poverty, they face all sorts of risks. Um, they're living life on the edge. And, um, you know, the, the COVID this last year, for me has really exposed this. Um, not only are families facing a pandemic now, but they're already facing an environment where they're living right on the edge. Um, malnutrition um, you know th- things that things that would never kill people here in the United States or, or in sort of high-income countries things that we would never dream of hurting or killing people um, they're they're deadly in low-income countries and so children are very vulnerable um, they're the most vulnerable in society um, children are often ignored uh, they're not protected they're not valued um, and when a family is experiencing pressure from living in extreme poverty children are often often bearing the side Violently bearing the brunt of that, Um, and you know, a lot of people in the United States—they live in poverty too. So it's—it's not you know, for us, we see it, we see it every day. We're not strangers to poverty, but um, extreme poverty in places like West Africa, um, East Africa—you know—they're very, very, very dangerous things for children. Um, I've seen time and time again that a little bit of intervention. Um, can make a huge difference in the life of a child. So, f- for, so that's kind of compassion's mission, right? That's like if you if you talk about what compassion does, you'll hear a lot of language like that. Um, and and it's an important mission. For me personally, um, I think I think. I um, I consider it kind of my life's calling. So to make people aware of these things that are happening, these vulnerabilities, um, child labor, child exploitation, uh, child poverty, all of these things are very dangerous and they're affecting people in real ways. And thankfully, thankfully, in more developed countries and high-income countries. These issues aren't, as, aren't as, as important. They're not as dangerous, right? In the United States, we have this incredible, and you know, we can be, we can be critical, and we should be, because things aren't perfect here in the United States. So by no means am I, am I saying things are perfect here, um, but, but they're so much better. Than in, in some countries with no medical infrastructure, there's no social infrastructure. You don't have you don't have like social services. You don't have you know these things that we all count on here in the United States. Um, those just don't, like they don't exist. Do, like access to doctors, those don't exist. Um, and so, these really important things that we have in our in our um, in our country. Like they just don't exist in other places, um, and and so uh, about a year and a half ago, I was on the border of Venezuela and Colombia, and, and there's a huge socioeconomic crisis, political crisis happening in Venezuela. Um, you know, people disagree in the numbers, but something in the in the realm of like four to five million people have fled Venezuela um, and have have started to move into other countries. Um, and and Colombia is, is, is a neighbor of Venezuela. Colombia has taken in a lot of these, um, they're essentially refugees. So a lot of these people crossing, they're displaced people coming from Venezuela. Um, and, and the pressure that's put on those surrounding countries is just immense. Um, the amount of poverty and crisis that's resulted, the amount of vulnerability that people are experiencing as they leave Venezuela. You know, I watched, I think for a couple hours, I stood on this bridge and this bridge connects Colombia to Venezuela, and and for for about an hour or two, we watched just an, an immeasurable number of people, just person after person, crossing this bridge from Venezuela into Colombia, and it was it was heartbreaking, right? Like the world needs to know about these things that are happening. Because um, if they don't, they'll never do anything to help. Um, and, and so I think for me, that's my calling is to raise awareness on these issues. Because when we, again, like I already said it, I'm sorry to repeat myself, but when we know about these things, that's the first step to doing something, right? Whether that's donating our time, um, money, telling our friends about it, uh, getting involved in some way. And we, we can't solve every problem in the world. I get that. But, you know, like we can do little things. And if we all do little things together, we can make a difference um so yeah that's it's kind of a long-winded answer to your question but no that's that was, great. That was on target yeah
0: that, that that was that was amazing the the um, the things that I was thinking about as, as I was listening to you uh, tell such an amazing story I know you have I'm sure you have many because we you've had a chance to travel the world and um, you know, oftentimes what I, what I struggle with is talking with students about the their global perspective, right? Or 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 having a way in which they can uh, reach some global way of, of, of viewing the world, right? A perspective mm-hmm. taking of, of of what what else is happening outside of my my home, right? Outside sure. of my region, outside of my country. Mm-hmm. Um, what I guess. You know, obviously, traveling is is important. Um, you know, for many students who don't have that opportunity. But hey, we live in a time where you can you can access so much information. You can mm-hmm. you can literally look up uh anything that you want um what 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 kinds of um i know aside from compassion international's work um what are some other uh places you go to to stay informed globally uh that you would help uh you know suggest to students Hey, if you you know if you're really interested in, in helping in these in these um ways right if we all do something little um what what would be some places where would be some places that they that they could venture off to to say okay i i really want to learn what's happening on the border of venezuela and colombia um what what are some places that that you would recommend them to to seek out
2: oh yeah that's um that's good i think um so I'll answer your question two ways, because I think empathy is a muscle we have to we have to train and flex and use. So I think da- so I think you have to kind of combine information. Right. And and that's a great question. Like, where can people go? What should they read? Watch? Like, that's a great question, because we do especially with the pandemic. Right. We're so insulated. I, we all feel like we're trapped in our houses, bubbles, communities. So like where do we go um but i I would also say that has to that has to jive with like this empathy muscle and i think we can develop that empathy muscle anywhere we are whether that's um you know, whether that's like shopping at Target and you see someone struggling with their cart, or, you know, I, th- I think we have countless chances every day to develop our empathy muscle. Um, and I think when we don't do that, we, we actually, that that like empathy muscle atrophies and we become bad at sort of experiencing and seeing the world from other, other people's perspectives. Um, and so you have to be good at that. And that takes practice. That's not, you just not, people aren't just like born with empathy. I think you have to practice that. And, and I think we can practice that every every day right where we are right now so that's that's half the equation it's just like opening your heart and mind and having empathy not for people a million miles away but sometimes for your own family for your family members um and and, and so that's half of it the other to so then to answer the kind of the, the the information side of the equation um it's it's everywhere i think um i think you just have to you have to be able to to look for it places like like the economist is great um you know, like, the New York Times does some great global reporting. Um, I found that Reuters Reuters has a great um, kind of portion of their reporting and website that's dedicated to global issues. Um, I think, I think what's important though is, is to combine that with some of your interests. Uh, you, can, you can think about it in terms of heritage. You can think about it in terms of kind of spots of the world because you can't know everything. You can't know. You just won't. I don't. Like you can't know about every conflict, every issue. You can't know about it all. So it's okay to have things that you're passionate about. Maybe it's child labor. Maybe it's child exploitation. Maybe it's child trafficking. Maybe it's disasters. Maybe it's political crisis. So I think it's okay to have these sort of spheres of interest that drive your knowledge around one thing, and that that's okay to, to know a lot about one thing. If you can't know about you can't know a lot about everything, and that's okay. Um, for me, you know, when when my my friend died in Iraq, I was really interested. In sort of Middle Eastern politics, I ended up getting a graduate degree in Middle Eastern politics um, and emergency management because of it. I wanted to understand why did the war happen? Right. Why? Why did like the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq happen? Why? did Why do these soldiers experience what they did? Why were we there? I mean, like. We all kind of have like a two sentence answer to. We should have a you know kind of a, a layman's two sentence answer to that, um, but really, what what were like the complex issues, like as as the United States intervening in these places? What were the complex issues being faced? Um, I was very interested in that. I bought like 15 or 20 books. Um, I still read. I'm still really interested in Middle Eastern politics and Central Asian politics. Um, And and again, like not everyone can know everything about everywhere. So kind of pick what you're interested in and go after it. Go, go buy some books, um, listen to podcasts, Um, like pay for some magazines. Um, you know, there's so much content out there. I think, I think it's easy to open up TikTok and just scroll through TikToks all day. Um, and that's not going to get like, like that might make the time pass and, and we're in a pandemic. So like, you know, you got to like, if you spent your year scrolling through TikTok, like I, <laughs> I've got empathy for you, I get it. But, but like, let's climb out of that. Right. And, yeah. and I think the more you can learn about the world, the better off you're going to be in. And then two, two, like people, you know, people talk about traveling and, and I do think traveling is important. Um, but traveling is expensive. It's hard. Um, it takes time. And, and so it's it's hard to do that. Well, especially as a poor college kid or maybe just out of college, you got huge spills like I get it. Um, you can't you know, you can't just like travel to, to Venezuela. I think well, I think that'd be unsafe. So don't travel to Venezuela, but you can't just like travel somewhere and experience something firsthand. Um, some people do that and they're very fortunate to have that opportunity, but you just can't always do that. So you can't be relying on travel. I think, you know, some people say you got to travel the world. It'll change your life. And, And that's true, but there are so many other ways to develop empathy and to learn about these things you care about. Um, but I think it, I think it also requires pausing for a second and asking yourself, what do I care about? What am I passionate about? Um, and why, and how does that play into my own story? Um, so I think. I think, yeah, I, I mean, it, the truth is though, like you just gotta start, you just gotta start caring about something. Just yeah. pick something you care about. It can be anything, just pick something, care about something, it can be small, do not have to be big, just start somewhere, right? Just stop scrolling through TikTok and do some research on something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I I think that's I think that's yeah, that's good. That's good. I I think that's something we deal with a lot with our students and and something I've I I mean, it's a it's a big undertaking. But I've tried to to take that on in the sense of take a take a chunk out of the first portion of my classes to really uh, challenge students to 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 one, you know, figure out what they're passionate about ask why they're passionate about those things because so many students as they're entering college, you know, they, they, they haven't even reached the point where um, you know, they figured out that like some of their ideas aren't theirs, but that they're sure. they're their, their moms or dads or uncle George's or, and to, to really then come face to face with that and not necessarily change their mind, but just realize like, Hey, I, th- that's not my thought. But let me let me figure out if that is my thought, like, hold on. And, and, you know, and, we, and, and how we tie that back into our classes is, I mean, we, mm-hmm. we focus on media literacy and, 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 yeah. and being able to, to critically look at, at how you're consuming media and, and the media diet and things like that. And, you know, just like you said, yeah, I mean, you can scroll through TikTok and, uh, you know, the, the TikTok person with a million followers says one thing and, well, the, they're not probably giving you the news, they're giving you a perspective right. of the news. Uh so. I, love, I love I love how you said, you know, just it, sometimes it just takes a moment to
0: pause, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and and just it just look at our, our diet, right? Let's look at our, our information and entertainment diets. <laughs> Uh, and I think a lot of folks have been able to do that, uh, especially over the last year. And I know I have personally, because, you know, you, you have your stack of books. You're like, OK, I got to read these three before I buy another one. Uh, and then you somehow sort of s- shy away from these uh, activities of just simply reading. Um, but that's that's so important right to 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 talk with students about about slowing down about, about taking yeah. an opportunity to to um you know engage in what you are really caring about mm-hmm. um and and most of the time it's going to lead us to 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 stop what we're uh currently doing to to then adapt and, and create a new uh routine right and 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 uh you know, try to get to something that is is of a book that is uh, really intriguing. It's going to help to to increase our uh, understanding about an issue. So yeah, I I I, I follow the uh, the Middle East uh, as well. I, I studied international communication in uh, graduate school. I learned a lot about China and and the. Uh, you know the mass migration to the the global cities, and uh, so so yeah, absolutely. I, I, that's kind of where that question resonated from with me. And as uh, as a young person growing up, I wanted to learn so much more about different places I've never been. And uh, usually that came through, you know, the books that my professors would recommend or my friends uh, would recommend, too. So um, I'm going to create a little uh, uh, project in the next couple of weeks here. Now we have spring break coming up Uh, and feel free. I'm going to I'm going to share this with you guys. And uh, if you have any books that you would recommend to a a reading list for students, uh, a few of my students have recommended it. They're asking for it and they're asking, hey, what have you read? So. Uh, that that's going to be good. I, I, I think we stumbled upon something really nice here.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So uh, taking taking a second to kind of kind of peel back, uh, you, you, you've you talked a lot about, um, you know, kind of, you know, you and 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 what you're doing and, and where you're going. And so so folks putting a putting a light on on our students specifically, again, those those video students we have. So maybe there's a video student, you know, listening to this podcast and they're like, man, like, you know, I, I like, I like, I like what, uh, you know, the, what, what this guy's done. And, and I like, like the life he's made for himself. Uh, but like, where, where do I start? Like, what do I, what do I focus on? Like, I'm kind of good at editing and I mean, I think I got a good eye, but like, what, 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 what do I do?
2: Where do I go? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I don't, You, I'll, there's no, there's no like equation. And I, I think, um, and that's a hard thing you know, I look because I, I can't. Well, I'll say this, Mark. I think. Well, first off, I just I don't want to go backwards, but I just want to applaud you guys for challenging your students. Um, I think it's so important to sort of challenge some of the paradigms of, of how we think in terms of in terms of media diet. So sorry to go backwards a little bit, but just keep up the work with with challenging your students and, and reading new stuff and, and thinking about content, not as a as a take, but a give. Right. Like, how do I consume content in a way that is actually giving um, and not just taking and consuming? Right. So I'm um, sorry to go backwards. So, yeah, oh, to your great. question, like, you know, humani- like humanitarian photography and filmmaking, I think is sort of the, the like if I had to categorize it, that's what I do. Humanitarian filmmaking and photography. Um, if someone's interested in that as a career field, there are so many different ways to get into it. I think if it's encouraging, like I have some friends who are incredible world-changing storytellers, photographers, filmmakers, who didn't finish their college degrees. I have some friends who have doctorates who do the same work. So it's not, a, it's not necessarily an education thing. And, you know, and like I went to film school. I thought that was important and I, I'm glad I did. I wouldn't change that. Um, but you don't have to have some awesome pedigree. There's not, you know, there's not one way to go about it. I think what I see most common is people, people come through um, a variety of different paths. Um, you know, working at the working at a big nonprofit is just one way to do sort of humanitarian work. I, I know a lot of people that freelance full-time as photographers, as film. Filmmakers, they have their own agencies. Uh, a lot of people come out of the agency world. So they they kind of they get, get out of school and they go work at, a, at an agency somewhere and they start to climb the ladder at a big agency or, or production studio. Um, other people, Um, come through the news world. So they'll get jobs at a local news station, or they'll get jobs, um, you know, like at a broadcast station somewhere, and they'll climb the ladder there. And then they kind of jump over to nonprofit work. I know some people that actually get entry level jobs at nonprofits doing kind of content production. um, And they kind of climb, climb the ladder there. Um, So there's a lot of ways to get into it. Um, I think, nonprofits like have great internship programs. I know Compassion does. So we have a killer internship program. World Vision has a save the children, Um, Samaritan's Purse. They all have incredible internship opportunities. Some of those organizations will actually let you like, uh, you know, not, not during the pandemic, but once we get that behind us, some of those organizations will let you do internships um, in the field. So they'll send you to like, if you want, they'll send you to South Sudan and they'll let you do an internship, like in, in a crazy place and do some incredible work there. So I think, um, so I think that's one thing, look for those opportunities. Um, you know, on the flip side, just cause you're not working somewhere, doesn't mean you can't flex your creative muscles. Um, you like go to a nonprofit down the street, um, and say, Hey, I'm like, I'm, I'm a photographer. I'm a filmmaker. I'm still in school. I'm still learning, but I would love to, you know, I would love to do some work for you for free. Um, It's, you know, honestly at some point you guys know this at some point you have to stop doing work for free because you need to get a job, but there's a little period of time there where, you know, you can actually, if you can swing it, do that work for free, call, call up a nonprofit, say, I love what you do. I love what you do in my community. Can I come shoot some photos and help you do some storytelling Um, for free? You know, um, there are there are organizations that would love, love, love a talented college student to call and say, I'm a great writer. I'm a filmmaker. Can I document this? Can I document that? Let's get I care about this topic. Let's get the word out about this. Um, So see how those opportunities I think. I think my my biggest piece of advice is find ways to create a killer portfolio. You know, I I have a team that works for me at Compassion, and they're they're really remarkable. You know, DPS and, and editors and writers, they're a killer team. Um, when I hire people to join my team, I the first thing I look at is portfolio every time. What's your website? What's the work that you've done on your website? And don't don't like. I'm not dumb if you say I made this film and it's clear that a team of 50 people made the film like I know that and so I don't like that if you played a small role in making something really big and cool that's great just tell me that right say here's the film I was an assistant to the assistant I got coffee that's fine um don't you know don't don't know don't i had to learn that lesson the hard way by the way um you just be honest about the work you've done but but create a killer portfolio because that's the first yeah your education matters yeah i care if you have you know like college degrees are great uh certificates are great um but what i care about is portfolio and be honest because i'm not dumb i i I can tell when someone's kind of exaggerating their portfolio so that's my advice get a portfolio get a website hire someone to make your website doesn't doesn't matter like but then then scratch and claw your way to having an incredible portfolio and let that drive opportunities at local nonprofits, at news organizations. Um, also, too, I tell people, because occasionally I'll meet somebody that just they are just hellbent on becoming a humanitarian photographer. And, and I it, when, when there's kids that are just like, that's my dream. I, you know, since I was three, I want to be a humanitarian phot- photographer. I tell them, OK, you should probably move to Nairobi. Like, if you really want to do humanitarian work, like you should probably move to Kampala or or Nairobi, or you should consider moving to like Bangkok and and you should move to a hub where you're more likely to get work. Um, and and that's like a litmus test. If, if you're the kind of person that's like, oh, yeah, like, oh, man, I'm in, I'm going to move to Nairobi. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take my couple grand that I've saved up and I'm just going to go make it work and I'm going to move to Nairobi. Like, if you're the kind of person that's like, oh, yeah, yeah, like I'd actually do that. Um uh, then like, you might have a chance at this career. Um, if you're the kind of person that thinks like, Oh, I would never moved. I don't even know where Nairobi is. Like, I don't know. I would never move there. Um, like that's a good litmus test to know, like maybe, maybe you're not interested in humanitarian work. Um, and cause some of the best photographers I know, they go and live where they're needed most. Um, And that's hard to do if you live like in the middle of the United... Like, again, like the humanitarian side of it. If you wanna go work for nonprofits, you can do that all over the country, that's great. But if you really wanna do life-changing humanitarian work, You often need to live and, and work in some of the same places where these conflicts are happening mm-hmm. um so yeah just just kind of the yeah it's a great question but the, tr- the truth is too there's no equation right and it's true for any career we all have different yeah. stories different equations to get where we are and and often as an encouragement i don't know, actually maybe this is actually discouraging like um or maybe this is discouraging you know everybody's the same we don't like at some point you're going to look back at 10 years and you're going to think, oh, okay, it makes sense to me now. I can see all of the steps that got me where I am. <laughs> But when you're in the middle of that, it never feels like it makes sense. Maybe it does for like one or two people, but it never, for me, it never feels like it's It's, good. it's like making sense. I always feel like, Oh, like what a mess I'm in right now. How do I get out of it? How do I further my career? How do I keep going? How do I, you know, we're all always trying to figure that out. But it, I think um, when you look back, it starts to make sense. But it, when you're in the middle of it, it never makes sense. So if someone, if you're like, yeah. if there's like someone listening and you're like, gosh, it just doesn't make sense right now. Just yeah. know that's how it is for all of us. Right. Yeah. Um so just yeah, as that's, maybe,
0: that's maybe that's so true. I know. <laughs> yeah. So true, man. Amen to that, brother. I was thinking, you know, um, gosh, you have had a chance to visit so many places. Um, and uh I was I was wondering, Ryan, as as we uh consider, you know, all the all the steps you've taken in your life and and, and all the success you've had and, and the fulfillment of, of of purpose, right? And that's that's a been that's been a huge uh, theme across uh, our podcast today um where's, where's a place in the world that you've traveled to that you feel like hey you know out of all the places these are you know this this one time or or you know maybe a couple that you that you would think man this experience was just amazing and it, it kind of is a defining moment for me that uh, that maybe you'd like to share with our listeners
2: yeah so um I think I I had been at Compassion, it was was eight years ago. I've been at Compassion for like eight and a half years. Um, And so this is one of the first trips I ever took with Compassion. So like before, really before working at this big nonprofit, I had done a lot of work in Europe. But that was the extent of my travel. I had done some shooting in France and and some other like some other European countries, and that was amazing. And so I, you know, I, like was used to that. But um, one of the first trips I went on for Compassion was to a country called Ghana. It's in West Africa. And if you know if you look up like the poverty index metrics, and you, you just if you just Google like poorest countries in the world, they're always they're always on the list. Um, and and the, some of the metrics there are heartbreaking. Um, And so, so I get on a plane, you know, I'm, I'm no stranger to doing news photography. I'm no stranger to traveling, but I'm traveling to Ghana with this small team. I've got a camera bag and I'm getting ready to do like a two and a half week shoot. And Ghana and we're going to cover all these different topics, meet all these different people. So, you um, know, it, was, it was kind of a, the, on the ca- on the, on the production schedule it looked great. It was a line lining up to be a great trip. So we get there and it just broke me because I had never seen that level of poverty before. Um, I spent two and a half weeks in this country meeting people, seeing, um, seeing some of the vulnerabilities that children face. Um, and, and every day we were meeting, um, different families, meeting children, looking at compassion's program through sort of these, these different, um, different like programmatic buckets, things like, like, like clean water. And, 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 you know, these, these different things are important to that are, are important to compassion program. And so we, we spent like two and a half weeks shooting all these different stories and um, it just wrecked me. I remember coming home thinking like, Oh, I didn't even, I, this never even occurred to me that people live like this, that they face these dangers. Um, you know, one story that still stands out to me was um I met this family um probably i think six or seven children um and their parents had died they died from a preventable disease something that would never kill people here so both parents had died um and there were six or seven children um and you know they lived sort of in this compound um is this little village in ghana they lived in this compound with other relatives extended family but the the other extended family didn't have the means to care for these children. They couldn't provide. I mean, they were they were I mean, really the entire compound of people were living in, in quite extreme poverty. Um, and these children were no parents, sleeping outside. Uh, were afraid that the ghosts of their parents were haunting this little tiny hut—the only only structure they had for shelter. They were afraid that the ghosts of their dead parents were haunting this structure. And so these children were 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 totally abandoned, um, had no means of of eating, had no means of caring for themselves. Um, and there's no there's no like social system in Ghana to care for children like this. And so we met all of these kids. Um, and we're hanging out with them for a day and that just wrecked me. Um, and I, I, think that was the first time that I was like, I, I get it. Like in a really, an emotional way, I get it. People need to know this stuff is happening and children face these vulnerabilities. Um, and still to this day, you know, I do, um, pandemic aside, usually I do like five, six, seven, sometimes eight trips a year. Um, and we, we go to developing countries, low-income countries. Um, I went to Haiti back in 2016, right after Hurricane Matthew. Hurricane Matthew, you know, it really didn't affect the US. So it didn't make big news headlines here. Hurricane Matthew like went right over the top of the Western part of Haiti. Um, and so I, I went to, um, flew into Port-au-Prince, went, um, went to like the kind of remote part of Western Haiti and um, and was just driving around with a small team, looking at the damage, seeing how this had affected people. And, you know, people, people in like rural parts of Haiti already don't have a lot by Western standards. Um, and so to see the little they had that was just totally destroyed um, was heartbreaking. And, and you, just one thing we saw, you see this across, especially in low-income countries, when people's homes are ruined, they'll often set up their mattresses. They'll take their mattress, which has maybe been soaked because of a hurricane they'll take their mattress and they'll stick um, a, a long kind of like a, a long piece of a tree or a stick and they'll basically prop up their mattress um, and they do that because of the sun when your home gets destroyed you need to dry out your mattress if you're lucky enough to even have one you know you, you need to dry your mattress but also you need shade because if your home's destroyed by something like how are you you're in the sun and how are you going to like protect yourself from you know from like it's like so they, they use mattresses to build sort of these makeshift structures, and we, we saw that a lot. I remember getting there though, and this was was just kind of the start of like drone, um, like drones were just starting to take off. So we flew with DJI, um, I for, you know, it's one of the huge ones. That's the one of the gigantic white drone. People aren't even using it more, um, but we flew one of those drones because we the, the the damage from Hurricane Matthew was so extensive. The only way we could represent, I was you know shooting I was shooting photos and video, but the only way I felt like I could accurately accurately represent the extensive the damage was to fly a drone so we created a film it's really simple we just flew a drone a bunch we shot a bunch of drone footage and all it was was just drone footage that showed the extent of what had happened in western haiti i put together a quick little film um it was nothing special it was just drone footage with music and we we pushed that out i sent it back to our headquarters they posted it on like social media channels and um it got a ton of awareness. It got a ton of hits, a ton of, you know, a ton of people shared it. And people were saying like, gosh, you need to see what's happening in, in the Western part of Haiti after this hurricane. And we raised millions of dollars for our relief efforts there because of that film. Um, and so I think, I think those two stories, I, I have so many stories like that where um, even today I've been doing it, I've been traveling to these places for, for a long time and I still just get wrecked from, from what I see, the people I meet and, um, and their stories. And, um, I'm still shocked at, uh, you know, on the flip side too, I'm still shocked at the resiliency and the hope that people have. And and it's cliche. Um, I think Mr. Rogers said it, but uh, he, you know, he said like when, when you see bad things happening, look for good people that are running towards it. Um, mm-hmm. s- sorry to botch that quote, but it's, um, I think that's really inspiring in my work. Even today I'm shocked that I still see that really good people are willing to intervene and help, the people that need it. Um, so you know, I, there, to answer your question, there are so many different stories that pop up in my mind of these meaningful moments. Um, but I think you know, the trip that stands out the most was the first time I had seen extreme poverty in West Africa. Um, I I got it. I was like, yeah, we need world we'll needs to know about these things. Um, yeah. So start is a long way to answer to your question, but that's
0: um, that's that's yeah. great. That's that's wonderful. I I think the insight is just invaluable to our listeners and our students that. You know, um, can see that through through their work, through through the work that they eventually decide to do. It, it's it's this is what they uh, are are yearning for. You know, and and, and I think this generation is uh, is definitely going to be running towards what. Uh, where the help is needed most, because I think through the, the pandemic, through uh, we, we had a power outage two weeks ago statewide, yeah. you know, that has really um, generated a sense of, of, of purpose and a sense of, of thinking about the future for our students. So, so that, was, uh, that was very impactful. Thank you for that.
2: Yeah. How, how are you guys out of curiosity? How are you guys doing now? Now that that's, what is it like a week and a half behind you, are you guys doing all right? Cause you know, I, I know so many people have been affected by that. How are you guys doing? <laughs> well, you
0: know, uh, Thankfully enough, we still have uh, power. I never lost water. Uh, I think uh, several folks around the city lost water. So they just ended the water distribution, I think, yesterday or today. Um, But things seem to be working okay, uh, doing well, and uh, know i think i think the uh the the fallout of that is still to be reported on and then they're still uh investigating what's what what truly did happen and why it happened and that's all important but uh thankfully we're we're safe i was i was part of one of those neighborhoods that just lost power for two and a half days straight so yeah uh and thankfully mark
1: offered his uh his home because he was one of the one of the lucky ones so yeah yeah, I was one of the lucky ones. I, I never lost power or water. I think a big portion of that is we live in close proximity to the the NSA headquarters here in San Antonio and I have a feeling that they didn't they, they, yeah, that, that our grid was protected because of that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, I tried, I tried to reach out to, to people that I knew didn't have power because, uh, it was cold, <laughs> it was real wow. cold and we're not used to that. Uh, and there's only so much, you know, extra layers of blankets can do. So, uh, so no, I was happy to happy to do that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think oh, there's a lot more people that, that understand, uh, you know, what, what it means to, to lose these, these niceties that we have sure. and, uh, and hopefully, uh, have some compassion for that. So,
2: um, and, and like so, so incredible to see neighbors helping neighbors too. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. At a time when it's really needed, people reaching out and saying like, I got you, like, I, I got you, like, I got this, I can offer these things. And and I just think that's, that's so incredible to sort of the human, like the human spirit of resiliency and, and caring for your neighbors and, and empathy. Right. Um, and I, I just, even in the, like, it's a great example, even in the midst of this huge crisis right like it's a really i mean that was a significant crisis and, and you guys were experiencing it um just see people step up and say look this is the little i have but if it helps you you know i'm happy to share it and i think those stories are just so incredible and they're so powerful and motivating so um i'm, I'm glad that i'm glad to hear that the, the water distribution ended and that things are i mean like you said it's fallout still still to be seen but i'm glad that things are starting to return to normal because man what a crisis you guys experienced
1: Yeah. 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 Thank you. Uh, So, yeah, uh, I think we've reached the part of our episode where we usually, uh, uh, you know, obviously thank the guest and and give the guest the floor one last time to uh, if there's any listeners that uh, are like, man, I really I really like Ryan Johnson. Uh, How do I uh, how do I find this guy? How do I find his work? Uh, So. So, yeah, where 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 do uh, where do our listeners find you?
2: Yeah so um my I'm on Instagram um my username is Ryan Johnson Films. Um my website is the same ryanjohnsonfilms.com. Um you know I would love to connect or if anyone has any questions or, or any follow up uh, I'm here would love to connect answer more questions. So no 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 big deal if anybody wants to reach out I'm here. So I you know I appreciate it you guys having me on the show and um I just I love you know, you guys are offering kind of different perspectives to your students. And I think that's really powerful. So just an encouragement for me, keep it up and, um, hope this helps somebody. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on the show.
1: Awesome. Well, uh, Tim, that's a, that's another episode in the bag. I think we're going to, we're going to call it. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it was amazing. Thank you so much, Ryan.
0: Again, it was a pleasure to have you and to meet you. And I'm so, uh, encouraged by your story and, and your portfolio is amazing. Uh, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm so confident. I know there are some students out there that are going to uh, benefit from, from listening to this, uh, very much. So, so thank you again.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Mark Ferris from adjunct faculty from Northwest Vista, uh, Timothy Molina, AKA Mr. T. All right. We'll see you next time. It's been a pleasure.
0: Have a good one, guys.